Ladies and gentlemen, a very warm welcome to our second IES podcast. My name is Sofia Maria Satanakis, and today we will talk about China. We will do so with Lukas Elbacher, who is currently an IES intern. By attending economics and international relations courses in Chinese at the Peking University and through an internship in the beating heart of China's startup scene, Lucas has gained both knowledge and first-hand experience of China's economic and political model. His research focuses globally on the Europe-China relations, as well as more specifically on the national and local implementation of different policies. He wrote the Austrian chapter in the ETNC, meaning European Think Tank Network on China, a special report regarding the Europe-China relations during the COVID-19 crisis. Welcome, Lukas. Thank you very much for this uh, introduction, and I'm very pleased to be uh, the second guest of the IES podcast after uh, my colleague Christoph Schwarz. And so perhaps before diving into the Austria-China relations during COVID-19, I'd perhaps like to uh, recommend to our listeners the work done by the ETNC network, so the European Think Tank Network in China. What makes this uh, network special is that it gathers China watches from 21 different uh, European research institutes. And we are uh, very pleased at the IES to be representing Austria since 2019. What I think uh, this network also offers is insightful and important approach to understanding EU-China relations because it gathers detailed analysis on a country level but also links them up uh, then into a broader European perspective. And perhaps I would also recommend to our listeners uh, the report, uh, to read the report published in January 2020 called Europe in the Face of US-China Rivalry. May I also say that uh, this report is available on the AIS homepage for anyone who is interested in reading it. So let's jump right in with the first question for Lukas. How did the Austrian-China relation play out since the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic? So in my view, the first distinctive feature of the Austria-China relationship during COVID-19, but also perhaps more broadly of China's foreign policy during that time period, uh, were the shipments of personal protective equipment, also called PPE, so that is uh, masks, gowns, gloves and goggles. So concretely, starting at the end of January, shipments of PPE donations from Austria to China and then China to Austria were organized by the Chinese business community, the Austrian companies with business ties in China, the Chinese diaspora in Austria, as well as Austrian and Chinese national and local governments. So just to give an example of such donations on sea level, the Austrian city of Salzburg donated in March uh, 100,000 FFP2 masks and 1,000 pairs of gloves to the Chinese city of Shanghai. And in return, uh, then in April, uh, Shanghai donated uh, 21,000 FFP2 masks to Salzburg. Perhaps on the company level, the Austrian corporate and investment bank, Raiffeisen Bank International, Medellination, as well as Chinese companies like Huawei or uh, CRC Zelk, which is uh, the European branch of the Chinese state-owned uh, rail company CRC, or in Chinese, Zhongguo Zhongche. But perhaps more importantly, uh, in parallel to those donations, the Austrian federal and local government also bought PPEs from China. I think that one can say that compared to those donations, governmental procurements uh, made by Austria were much bigger both in size and in value. Uh, from this uh, one fact, we can see that like most other European countries, Austria was at the beginning of the crisis and still is now dependent on PPE imports and in particular PPE imports from China. Alongside uh, such PPE shipments well, was also a Chinese uh, reinforced Chinese communication campaign. 
This uh, campaign was also sometimes referred to as uh, China's mass diplomacy. To this effort, China sought to portray itself uh, both the domestic and their foreign audience first as a responsible power and perhaps also more broadly to increase its soft power. So to give an example, a message by the Austrian president Alexander van der Bellen thanking China for its support was widely propagated in Chinese medias, uh, in particular Chinese state medias, uh, such as the website Guangcha. Furthermore, the Chinese embassy in Austria, as well as the Chinese ambassador himself, Li Xiaosi, uh, have both increased their social media presence, in particular on the platform Twitter. Social media has been used at first to minimize the consequences of the COVID-19 crisis for China, and later on to portray donations as a sign of solidarity and deepening cooperation between Austria and China. The Chinese ambassador was uh, overall very active during the COVID-19 crisis, he, uh, in particular, also attended uh, so-called handing over ceremonies where several PPE shipments were handed over to uh, Austrian counterparts. These PPE shipments were both donations and procurements. So in conclusion, I think that what sets this uh, Chinese communication apart is first the sheer scope of it. It wasn't only concentrated in certain countries, but a global effort. And secondly, China has successfully incorporated different actors into a broad and single communication effort. So for example, Chinese and Austrian businesses, the Chinese community in Austria, and different uh, governmental institutions, both in Austria and in China. And on the Austrian side, what was very striking is that contrary to the increased engagement of Chinese diplomats, the Austrian government generally kept silent. So for instance, the call on the 27th of March between Chancellor Sebastian Kurz and the Chinese Prime Minister Li Keqiang was neither mentioned by an official statement nor on the government's social medias. Furthermore, when faced with accounts of defect PPEs, the Austrian Minister of Economic Affairs, Margarete Schramberg, abstained from directly mentioning China. Personally, I think that this silence represents Austria's intention to first continue a non-confrontational approach towards China, but also perhaps more globally, a neutrality policy regarding the US-China competition. Thank you very much for this detailed answer. What I found particularly interesting is the comparison uh, you mentioned about the Chinese and the Austrians, like the Austrian government was rather silent. So how would you say that the Austrian-China relationship can compare to other European states? That's a very good question. Uh, and the insight I've gained throughout my research is that compared to other European countries, the Chinese official discourse in Austria has been less confrontational less assertive, and even compared to what has been dubbed uh, China's wolf warrior diplomacy, also uh, less violent. I think personally that this can be traced back, on the one hand, to the Chinese ambassador in Austria, these are also less assertive and perhaps we can say also more traditional diplomatic approach, uh, compared perhaps also to the Chinese ambassador to France or Sweden. On the other side, Austria's own more neutral stance and more uh, non-confrontational non stance towards China has also helped in building up such a non-confrontational approach on the Chinese side. Lastly, we also have to mention that uh, China's less assertive stance in Austria could also be linked to Austria's importance for Chinese companies in their expansion into Central Europe and the Balkans. Yes, exactly. And as we all know, Austria maintains very close ties with the Balkans, uh, historically, economically, culturally, and so on. And the Balkans are one of the country's uh, top foreign policy priorities as well. 
Anyway, but coming back to our topic of Austria-China relations, what should we expect for the future? So, as I tried to outline before, the COVID-19 crisis does not seem to have induced a fundamental change in the Austria-China relationship. Austria seems to continue uh, and want to continue its non-confrontational approach towards China and, on a more global context, a neutrality policy in the US-China rivalry. Another example for this continuation of a neutrality policy uh, within the US-China competition would be that in contrast to the UK's recent ban on Huawei, in its uh, 5G rollout, the Austrian government has decided to let uh, its own Austrian mobile carriers decide whether, whether or not they want to use Huawei equipment. Having said this, however, during the COVID-19 crisis, the Austrian government has increased its engagement on European level. Collectively with several other European countries, it welcomed uh, the EU Commission's new industrial strategy, uh, which seeks to reduce the external dependence of European value chains. In the same context, the Austrian federal government pushed for greater autonomy in the pharma industry as other European countries like France have done it. Furthermore, following the publication of the EU Commission's guidelines on reinforcing FDI screening regulations, the Austrian Minister of the Economy announced that a comprehensive investment control measure directed at protecting critical infrastructure will be implemented. A draft of, the, of this investment screening law has already been made public at the end of May and is planned to be fully enforced in October 2020. So taking both these aspects together, I think that Austria might hence be impelled to continue on a national level its policy of neutrality and non-confrontational approach towards China but, on the other hand, increase its engagement uh, towards China on a European level. Ideally, such a two-level approach can enable Austria, on the one hand, to navigate the increasing tensions between the two big global powers, the US and China, as well as to work on a European level to resolve structural and strategic challenges in the EU-China relationship, such as the push for greater autonomy, the restructuring of value chains, the establishment and coordination of Europe-wide investment regulations and the ongoing negotiation of a EU-China investment agreement. However, and I think also more realistically, uh, the risk with such a two-level approach is that the national approach of neutrality uh, towards China undermines efforts taken on a European level. Austria should thus not only be active in shaping and participating in uh, China policy on a European level, but also then be following through on a national level and ensure that uh, European policies towards China also implemented within Austria. Exactly, and I think this is a very big challenge, not just when it comes to Austria-China relations, but in general for every policy area in all the member states to be able to combine as good as possible the national approach and the European approach so that they're not too far apart, but rather be seen as an entity. Anyway, um, we have come to the end of this podcast, so I would uh, like to thank you very, very much for providing us with uh, this detailed information, with your insights, compliments on your excellent Chinese, <laughs> which I enjoyed very, very much. So uh, thank you for talking today with us. Thank you very much, Sophia. It was a pleasure to be uh, a guest on the podcast and to share my insights on Austria-China uh, relations. But um, if, before leaving, if you indulge me, I'd like to share with our listeners news about the uh, new investment agreement on geographical indications between the EU and China. This agreement ensures that in the first four years of the agreement, 100 European and 100 Chinese products with specific geographic origins will be protected. 
uh, four years after the entry into force of this agreement, the list would also be uh, expanded and will cover uh, 175 more European and Chinese products. So um, if you indulge me, I'd like to perhaps share with our listeners three of my uh, personal favorite of this list of Chinese products. So the first will be the one and only Mount Wei Da Hong Pao. So it's Oolong uh, tea from Fujian province. The second would be uh, the crunchy and delicious Fangxian Heimuar, the English Fangxian black fungus from Hubei province. And then lastly, one of the biggest uh, brands of alcohols in uh, China, uh, which is the Guizhou Mao Tan, which is an alcohol made of uh, sorghum. But I think also more importantly, for listeners, uh, they will be happy to know that uh, Steirisches Kürbiskernöl will also be protected in Chinese markets and in four years time, China is going to be blessed with Inlander Rum, Tiroler Bergkäse, Tiroler Speck and perhaps also most important, Vorarlberger Bergkäse. Okay, thank you very much for this uh, additional piece of information, uh, which now officially marks the end of the second IS podcast. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to us today. And I can tell you now that we will continue with the topic of COVID-19 also in the next IS podcast, which will be our third now, but this time with a global outlook, which will be provided by our head of institute, Velino Chakarova. So stay tuned and goodbye. Mm-hmm.